Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. <clears throat> All right, here we go. So what is it? It's Wednesday, May 11th, 2016. We're here with Mr. Bob Schaefer, who is one of our coaches at youhavetheright.com. So, Bob, take it away. Okay, what we're going to talk about tonight is how you get some answers to questions. You see, the law, the law gives you the right to know what the other side knows, and they get to know what you know. And, but they have to go through the hoops to do it. <clears throat> and that's usually called discovery, but there's some pre-discovery um, procedures that you can do before actual discovery is, is sanctioned by the court. Now, I like to use the United States District Court, and they, they have, a, I believe it's a Rule 27 uh, hearing where they try to get rid of you because they got a pile of papers, and they, they really, justice is not important. Uh, getting rid of your case is important, so you have to know how to get by that. But then once you get by that, and you can, <clears throat> then you have a better opportunity there than in a state court. And by the way, I want to say, if there's anybody from the government listening in, I want you to know you're welcome. I want you to know what I know, um, and uh, you're, you're certainly welcome. In fact, you'll probably find out that I help people uh, save the court a lot of money because there's a lot of bad information out there on the internet and people are filing lawsuits that they really shouldn't be filing and then, so you'll find out that it's in the interest of judicial economy for people to listen to me and comply with what, what information I've learned over the last 36 years now back to um, the topic here uh, before trial, before court, before you sue anybody, you have a right to use the Freedom of Information Act. And that's uh, the authority for that is in five, that's uh, book five, United States, Code, <laughs> United States Code section 552. And <clears throat> so you can, and we're going to talk about just how you use this. And that can be done before your threatened trial. I, I like to threaten you know, a trial because they don't want to go to trial. And, and they, they threaten us with trial all the time, and most people don't know how to deal with that, and they get their way because the people are afraid of the trial, and they just want to get it over with. And, and um, even if they, even if it costs them many thousands of dollars and, uh, and they just want to know where, where do I pay, I want to get this behind me. Well, they know that. That's just a common... Um, situation, the average man on the street is afraid of the court. And because they know that, they use that against them. And so I I tell people, if you just want to get it over with, then just ask them how much you, you can pay them and, and get it over with you. It's the best way to get it over with. But if you want to fight them, I can help you fight them. I've been successfully fighting them for 36 years. And um, 
I have them. In, in my case, uh, they want to leave me alone. I have two pieces of land that they won't set foot on to tell me that, you know, that I have to uh, remove these cars or boats or trailers or whatever. I have too many vehicles. Uh, it's against the code. They all have to be licensed, registered, and insured. And then I get into what we call paper terrorism. They they call us paper terrorists sometimes because we're willing to sue them. But wait a minute. When they tell you you're going to clean up your property, you're going to remove all these cars. And, you know, like I, I collect antique cars. I just love antique cars. I've been doing it all my adult life. I'll be 75 in July, and I've had a lot of them. And I've lived in the same house for 42 years, so about 40 antique vehicles have gone through my land. And one of the first things that these guys should do, especially in code enforcement, is, is find out the use of the land. Not only your use, but the previous owner's use. Because most most use stays the same from way before that law was passed. In other words, they cannot pass a law and make it retroactive. So your one of your best arguments you're going to write this down so you can give it to your friends if they're having code enforcement problems, is that they have a law, it's called the non-confirming grandfathered use law. In other words, in my case, my use has been uh, the same since uh, July of 1974. And uh, so even though the antique vehicles that are there now aren't the same ones that were there 30 years ago, the use stays the same. Now, if I use for six months, or in some jurisdictions, one year, then I can't even go back and use it. But if I sell it, and they sell it, and they sell it, and they sell it, and the use stays the same, the use is what governs. And uh, that was that was told to me by a former neighbor when I was 12 years old. My parents moved in next door to a family that had an eight-year-old son that turned out to be a code writer. He wrote codes for Riverside County, and then he moved over to San Bernardino County, and he wrote and I, I went to see him when the county came against me for having 13 vehicles in my yard. And, uh, he, he, you know, he was a neighbor. He was a friend. He said, just a minute. He went back and he came to his office and he came back out with his uh, non-conforming grandfather use law. And that's, that's how I won my case. Uh, sometimes it's not what you know, but who you know. I happen to know the right guy at that time, and I passed that on freely. So anyway... Uh, they like to mess with us and uh, we like to mess with them back uh, so much that uh, they finally want to leave us alone. But back to how you get information from them, you can do it with the uh, Freedom of Information Act or F-O-I-A pronounced FOIA. And that's then with a FOIA notice and demand. <laughs> and we'll get into that in just a minute. The uh, There's another way you can do it and that's with an affidavit of uh, material facts. An affidavit is a powerful document. I like to throw the word declaration in front of it because a declaration is also a very powerful document. So we just combine the two and make it super powerful. And uh, But your, your your affidavit of material facts, you make a, a, a statement that it's got to be a true statement that you believe is true. Um, and then if, if they have to answer it. If they don't answer it, it becomes set in concrete. It's the way it is. They cannot come back later and make any changes on it. Now, in discovery, which you do after that Rule 27 uh, hearing, um, and we have we have documents where we can oppose a Rule 27 hearing and, and win it every time, um, 
so that then you can get on to discovery. There's four kinds of discovery in in the U.S. District Court, and I believe in most state courts. One is called a, re- a request for admissions. And so you say, well, admit this, admit that. You know, you, you just add anything you want them to admit to. Now, they have to either admit it or deny it. If they deny it, they have to put in their side of the story. If they admit it, then they agreed with you. If they don't respond, that's a good thing because with a request for admissions, if they don't answer it, everything that you ask them to admit to is deemed admitted to. Same thing Same thing with that affidavit of material facts. If they don't respond, all the material facts that you put in the record uh, are, are the facts. Um, and so... Uh, those two are very p- powerful documents. Then there's re- requests for documents, papers, and things. That's a that's a title for a document. It's a it's a discovery request for for documents, papers, and things. So you can ask them to produce, uh, for instance, their bond. They don't have one. They're supposed to have a bond. Uh, you you can ask them to produce their statement of economic interest because we try to get that long before we get to trial and discovery. Um, and we can pick that apart and find out that they lied under oath. Um, then there's another one, request for answers to interrogatories. Now, request for answers to interrogatories is any question your little heart desires. It doesn't have to be in the form of an admission. You can ask them to detail this and detail that. <laughs> but now with the, the FOIA, this is a good thing to start out with. This is the, the Congress decided that the government was not giving enough information. Hello? Oh, we just had a little feedback, Bob, but it's okay now. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, folks, if, if you can, hit star six on your phone to mute out so we don't have that problem. Okay, yeah, it's good not to interrupt me because I, when I get on a roll, I lose my place. I suffer a senior moment and it just goes blank. Okay, now this is this is a uh, FOIA notice and a man that a friend sent me, and it's addressed to the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, 950 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C. Now, one of the things we're going to go over tonight is a list of all the different places that you can do FOIA. And I'm going to send this to uh, Tad so that he can post it on the website. I want this to be a free download for the people that are members. Uh, so that you can go through this and get names and addresses. This this is just full of wonderful names and addresses that was also sent to my friend for her future for her. But anyway, you start out, and I'll read part of it. I'll, I'll redact some of it here. Dear sir, this is notice under the Freedom of Information Act and open friends, 5 U.S.C., Section 552, Open parenthesis, I already mentioned that citation earlier. That's in book number five of the United States Code, by the way. I am requesting access and information as to when the exact date and established, uh, that establishes Wachovia Bank and Wachovia Mortgage FSB was dissolved for money laundering to the Casa de Cambios. Please supply the records without informing me of the cost if the fees do not exceed $25, which I am willing and agree to pay if required to process my request. 
If you deny any part of this request, please cite each specific exemption that you rely on to justify your refusal or release the information that notified me of alternative procedures available under the law. The information requested will assist me relative to the policies relating to the original promissory note. It's that original promissory note that we can hold them to, and that, that's how people are getting their free health, by the way. I understand that penalties for requesting and or obtaining a- access to official records or documents under false pretenses. The undersigned is the person making this request. I look forward to your prompt response to this matter. <clears throat> now, that's just a very simple one-page Freedom of Information Act. And... <clears throat> With the um, list of uh, addresses, then you, you can send send these to a lot of different places. And they they have to respond. Um, in fact, I'm going to re- give you a response back. Um, this is the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in their response to this uh, Freedom of Information Act, and it, it lists uh, this this lady's name. Regarding Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, 5 U.S.C. 552, request number. And the way they they document the request, it says 16. So we know that's the year 1916, and then 02860. So this was the 2860th Freedom of Information Act that went to the Securities and Exchange Commission by April 13. It says, this letter is an acknowledgement of your FOIA request dated March 24, 2016, <clears throat> and received in this office on April 13, 2016. Now, see, everything is highly documented. It, they, they, they have to admit they got it, and they have to tell you when they got it. Regarding uh, residential mortgage records, your request has been assigned tracking number 16. Now, see, it's got the same the same number. And uh, it causes a dash FOIA after all that number. Your request will be assigned to a research specialist for processing, and you will be notified of the findings as soon as possible. They see what they're doing here is they're just responding and say, hey, we're over here. We got your letter. That's all this is. We got your letter this date doing, uh, asking this stuff. In the interim... If you have any questions about your request, you may contact this office by calling and they give a number. In fact, I'll give it to you right now. It's 202-551-7900 or sending an email to, and then I'll give you that one too. It's F-O-I-A-P-A. Now, I don't know what PA stands for, but it, it's there. FOIA what are those PA. letters again? F-O-I-A-P-A at S-E-C. We know that means securities and exchange. Dot gov, G-O-V. So now I've just given you a phone number and a, and a, a address, email address. Is so that email address? Online. Is that email address? Did you say it was C-A as in cat, Apple? P is in uh, uh, Paul. Paul Apple. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Please be reference to your tracking number when contacting us. For additional information, please visit our website. That's another good to hear. That's www.sec.gov. And follow the FOIA link at the bottom. So now you just got some good information there on FOIA. Now, here's another one from the United States Securities Exchange Commission uh, Office of FOIA Services. And it, it also gives the lady's name, re- reference Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, 5 U.S.C. 552, request number, and it gives the request number dash FOIA. They, they have all kinds of codes that they use, and they can look at a number and know exactly where to, where to put something, what file to go to. The Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, Office of FOIA Services, has received your Freedom of Information Act. Request relating to residential mortgage records. Please see the enclosed information relating to SEC filings regarding mortgage-backed security. If you have any questions, please contact me. And I'm not going to give you this guy's number, but his personal his personal number and his phone number. You may also contact me at, and they give that that contact. Now here's they put this. This, this this is more information that uh, is going to be on Tad's uh, website, but I'm going to read it to you so that you can understand that you did it twice. Repetition is not a bad thing. Okay, it's it's this is regarding residential mortgage loan records. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, has received FOIA requests from individuals and entities for records relating to residential mortgage loans, specifically individual request records relating to the ownership of their mortgage loans, which may have been bundled into mortgage-backed securities. The word may should be uh, (laughs) for sure, because that's the way it is. Um, And here's, I'll give you the, if if you're looking for that information, you go to this one, http colon forward slash forward slash www.sec.gov. Now we've already given you that much so far in the, in, the, in the last few minutes. Now we're going to get into some specifics. Forward slash answers. Forward slash mortgages. Excuse me, mortgage securities. Dot htm. You go there and you'll find the world of information. The SEC oversees public disclosure to investors to help investors make informed investment decisions, including those in public <coughs> offered mortgage-backed securities. By the way, judges' retirements are invested in mortgage-backed securities. And as you will find out over the course of all these conference calls, these mortgage-backed securities are worthless because of what they did in their greed. <clears throat> but anyway, go on here. While the SEC requires users of these securities to provide material information to investors, it does not require them to supply detailed information on individual residential mortgage loans or properties backing the securities. 
That's because they're bundled in huge amounts, hundreds. However, some, let's see, my phone rang and I had to see, where are we here? However, some mortgage-backed security users, issuers, voluntarily provide some detailed loan-level information as attachments to their public findings with the SEC. Thus, depending on the security and issuer, the offering document for mortgage-backed securities and other related documents publicly available through EDGAR. Now, that's an acronym for something. They don't say it here. The SEC's electronic database may or may not help homeowners determine who owns their mortgage. You have a right to know who owns your mortgage, and it gets moved around, and they don't do it right, and that's how we can take advantage of them. Requesters may locate registration filings related to mortgage-backed securities by assessing public files publicly filed documents via the SEC website, which we just talked about earlier. On that site, under the headings, Filing and Forms, click on the link, Search for Company Filings. Mortgage-backed securities and other ABS are issued by entities with a SEC code of 6189, and this will all be explained more on that website. Mortgage loan schedules may be filed voluntarily in prospectus filing. That would be Form 42-4B3, a free writing prospectus, that's an FWP, or Form 8K. Now, don't get upset if you can't write all this down because this will all be on, on, on the, uh, uh, in the archives and on the website. <clears throat> The document governing a mortgage-backed security is typically called a pooling and servicing agreement, or a PSA. A PSA for a particular mortgage-backed security and the assets underlying the security, that would be the the, um, deed of trust or trust deed or mortgage, those are three different document titles, are described in the issuer's prospectus, filing form 42 4BA or 42 4B3. Excuse me, that first one was 42 4B5, and then the other one was B3. The PSA is frequently attached to the SEC filing as an exhibit to a Form 8K filing. The PSA is in your your mortgage or your your um, promissory note has a PSA with it. A PSA is routinely listed in Exhibit 99 to a Form 8K filing. If some detailed loan information is provided, it is typically filed as an attachment, exhibit, or schedule to the PSA and labeled as a mortgage loan schedule. Typically, name, address, or other type of identifying information about the borrower is not included in the mortgage loan schedule. The fact that SEC has reminded issuers and underwriters that they should be mindful of any privacy and consumer protection concerns in disclosing this information. And it goes on. 
In April 2010, the SEC proposed to require a certain low-level information about mortgages underlying mortgage-backed securities. Or more important about the proposal, it can be found in the proposing release available on SEC's website, and I'll give that to you. It's http colon forward slash forward slash www.sec.gov. Now, see, we've already given you that many times. Now we get into the specific forward slash rules, forward slash proposed, forward slash 210, forward slash 33-9117 FR in lowercase, dot PDF in lowercase. As discussed in that proposing release, the SEC proposal seeks to avoid disclosure of personality identifiable information about the underlying obligor and is designed so that the readers would not be able to link a particular mortgage borrower or a particular address to a particular mortgage-backed security issuer. In connection with the proposed rulemaking, the SEC has sought public comment on how best to provide investors with non-level information, loan, excuse me, loan-level information while mitigating any related privacy concerns. The SEC does not collect and maintain the following records, which are frequently requested. Uh, 2000, let's see, I should start over, 2004. Four six balance sheets, RC call schedules, and they'll probably describe all this. Forms FAS 125, 133, 140, 5 or 95, bonding certificates or bond information. Under the FOIA and SEC, the SEC does not certify that records do or do not exist relating residential mortgage loan records now that is an overview of what they're what they put out for people to uh, to use their site now I'm going to read the front page just a page and a half of of what this long list of of um, addresses is about that that will be put up there on the website. Uh, this is from the Department of Justice. See, this lady sends stuff to everybody, and the Department of Justice uh, was just one of them. Okay. Um, dear Madam, this is in response to your request for records. Tracking number, and they gave her a tracking number. Your Freedom of Information Act or Privacy Act request was received by this office which serves as a receipt and referral unit for FOIA slash PA. PA is Privacy Act. Requests. So see, you can you can ask for a Freedom of Information Act and Privacy Act. There's two different ways you can go to get information. Address, address to the Department of Justice, DOJ. <clears throat> Federal agencies are required to respond to a FOIA request within 20 business days. Now see, they just gave us information here that if they don't re, re, um, respond within 20 days, they're in deep trouble. 
This period does not begin until the request is actually received by the component within the DOJ that maintains records sought, or 10 business days after the request is received in this office, whichever is earlier. The DOJ, which is the Department of Justice, component maintains its own files. There is no criminal file. Therefore, this office has been designated as the receipt and referral unit for Freedom of Information slash Privacy Act requests addressed to the DOJ. In other words, you're not going to report a crime to these guys. To refer your to refer your request, we need you to further identify the records you request. DOJC, we've got to be detailed here, and this is why this is important for you to understand. DOJ regulations require that a request for access to records sufficiently identifying the records to enable department personnel to locate them with a reasonable amount of effort. And that's found in 28 CFR. CFR is, uh, oh, my my mic just went blank. CFR 16.3B, that's Code of Federal Regulations. Please provide us with specific information to help us identify the DOJ component or components most likely to have the records you seek. Evidently, there's a lot of different offices in the DOJ, and they're trying to hone it down to where they can get it to the right people to help you. Please give the subject dates and, if known, name of the person who signed the document in the component form from which it originated. Or if your request related to litigation, please provide, in addition to the name of the case, the subject of the case, or indicate the type of case, uh, i.e., uh, attacks, civil rights, or criminal case. We cannot identify the component handling a case solely on the name of the case. Similarly, we cannot identify the component likely to have a record on an organization or person solely on the name of that organization or person. You know, there's a lot of information that they need so they can help you get to the information you need. So this is why it's important that we're having this call here. So I just, I'm saving you and them all this mail going back and forth. This lady did something wrong. They had to tell her how to correct it. Therefore, please describe the subject matter or evidence events involved which may have led to the establishment of a record on that case, organization, or and or person. In addition, you may name the components you believe to have the records you seek. The enclosed list of Department of Justice components, functions, and records maintained describe the functions of the DOJ components. We will refer your request upon receipt of the required information, and this was signed by a logistics management facility and administrative service staff at the Justice Management Division. I mean, this is a big organization. They need some help to get you what you need. And then the enclosure is a list of Department of Justice components, function and records maintained, and then an incoming letter. Now, I'm not going to read the whole... Uh, many pages. I'm just going to read some titles here so that you can 
can see what what they have. So you you might even be able to say, well, that one um, is uh, exactly what I need. I, I just glossed over this earlier, but I would say there's probably 30 or 40. So you, you know that you you have you have to go to Tad's website and look at this and get get real detailed and save yourself and them some uh, some time, effort, and energy. And sometimes we need uh, to save time. Okay, now these are in, in alphabetical order. There is the antitrust division. And there's a brief description here before it gets into all the details, which we'll not go into. The antitrust division, requests for antitrust division records should be sent to the following physical address, email address, or fax number. And then it goes into, well, there's about 10 lines of all this information. And then there's a paragraph, there's a five or six paragraphs after that, which we will not go into right now. But that describes what you can do with that one uh, contact. Then at the Office of Associate Attorney General, request for Associate Attorney General records should be should specify that Attorney General that Associate Attorney General records are being sought and should be sent to the following physical address. But I won't keep reading that because that's just very repetitious. But then there's the next one is the Office of the Attorney General, and it tells you all the things that, that you can get from, from him. Then the next one is the civil division. And there's a, that's a division that can help you in, in that matter. Uh, there's a lot of pages here. And there's about one contact per page here. The next one is the civil rights division. So see, there's a difference between civil and civil rights. Now, if you're... If you're not black, you probably will not be using civil rights because they're mainly for civil rights. And civil rights are not the same as unalienable rights. And if you're a sovereign like what most of us are, we don't have any civil rights. Civil rights are for the free slaves and people claiming to be uh, over there under the law of the sea. Okay, the next one was the community relations service. And there's a big a lot of contact information about them. Then we have the Office of the Deputy Attorney General. Now, evidently, they do things that the Attorney General doesn't do, that they're helpers over there. Now we have um, the Drug Enforcement Administration. Some of you people have drug enforcement problems, and you can deal with, with the Drug Enforcement Administration. These are probably entire floors. I mean, these are big departments. Then the Environment and Natural Resources Division. And there's a big description of what, what they do. Let's see here. I get a lot of phone calls, and I've had two phone calls while I've been on this call right now. And this just have to wait. Then there's the Executive Office for... Uh, immigration re Review. Another one is the Executive Office for the United States Attorneys. See, there's a lot of attorneys, a lot of U.S. attorneys all over America, and that, they probably work out of that office. 
the Executive Office for United States Trustees. Now, that brings up a, a side issue. When you when you have a trustee, like in a bankruptcy case, they, they assign a trustee. The trustee actually owns your stuff. You don't own it anymore. The trustee does. And if there's a big judgment against that trustee, your stuff can be used to satisfy that judgment. I have a friend that had uh, $60,000 of, of heavy equipment sold through the bankruptcy court to satisfy the trustee's own IRS problem. Now that IRS agent should have contacted me and I could have got rid of the IRS thing with an offer to pay. But uh, he didn't know and his, his ignorance contact, or cost my friend $60,000. Then there's the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, look at that. The FBI is part of the, well, I guess I knew that, part of the Department of Justice. And by the way, in the FBI building, they have a, ma- a death mask on the wall of John Dillinger, which is not John Dillinger. Uh, it's a guy that looked like him, and they could not admit that they killed the wrong man. Then there's the Interpol, hyphen United States National Central Bureau. Now, I don't even know what Interpol is, but I, I see Interpol on a lot of trucks. A lot of big trucks have Interpol written on them. Interpol so or Interpol? Interpol? Interpol, yeah. That's International Police. Then there's the National Security Division. Now, out of all these different offices, there's going to be one or two that you're going to want to deal with over your... Uh, your problem, whatever the problem is. Another one is the Office of Community Oriented Policing Service, or yeah, Policing Services. So I don't know if that's the other gripe against a police officer. I don't know, maybe you contact them. Office of Information Policy. Then the Office of the Inspector General. The Department of Justice is a big place. It's got a lot of these these departments in it. Um, The Office of Justice Programs, and there's the contact for them. And then when when this gets on the internet, you have the write.com, then you can read all these, um, the descriptions underneath. See, there's there's the, the title of the office, like the next one is the Office of Legal Counsel. Then there's all these people and their room numbers and their phone numbers and their email, then it goes into four or five different paragraphs of what they do and how you can, there's even more information, contact information. The next one is Office of Legal Policy. The next one is Office of Legislative Affairs. So why does the legislature have anything to do over there? But they do, evidently. That's a, I would think against the separation of powers doctrine. Anyway, the office of pardon attorney. Now that might be a really good one for if you have people uh, that need to be pardoned. Pardoned. Office of professional responsibility. Office of public affairs. Now, I'm guessing that would be like a public relations department. 
Office of Solicitor General. Then there's the Professional Responsibility Advisory Office. You know, uh, before that, it was another one, Office of Violence Against Women. Now, one reason we need to put this on the website is so you can read all of this stuff and see if one or two or five of these things don't trigger uh, a thought in your mind that, uh, hey, there's some help here in this particular office. Then there's the tax division, uh, request for tax records. And there's just one or two more pages. See, we're already up to T. Uh, the United States Marshal Service, the United States Parole Commission. I believe there are some people there that uh, we can help. Uh, they can that we they can get some help from some of these uh, contacts. So anyway, uh, this is all under the Freedom of Information and, and the Privacy Act which you really should go to and see what they can do for you. Um, We've already talked in the past, and Tad has this uh, broken down into topics for the members. The membership have a lot of good things that that don't just go with the the regular call. Um, But we have the uh, affidavit of uh, material facts uh, call, which goes into great details how you can uh, get information, get them. It's really like a request for admission before you can do a request for admission after that Rule 27 hearing. Now, the beauty of the affidavit of material facts is that you can then take that later and send it out to 30 different defendants so they have to hire their own attorney to sit down and answer all these requests for admissions, and you take the request uh, or the affidavit of material facts, and then you just change that from affidavit to material facts of material facts to admit that, and then use the same facts. So with a, with a search and replace with your computer, you can take and make a whole new document in about two minutes that, that you can send out to all these people after... A discovery is is okay, in in the area of requ- in the area of a request for, uh, I mean, a, a, yeah, request for admissions. So uh, you can do the request for admissions and then request for documents, papers, and things. That's where you go for their their oath of office if you haven't already got it. Now here's here's something. I'm I'm uh, in Tucson, Arizona right now, and. I'm trying to get the oath of office of three different judges that we're going to sue and their bond and their statement of economic interest. But I've already been to the treasurer, and the treasurer's office won't give me um, the information I want on how much money they pay these judges. But I'm I'm going to go around them, and I'm going to get that information anyway. But uh, So, you know, you don't let anything stop you. There's... I tell people that they, they're going to always put up roadblocks. They're going to want to know who this for and what this about, and and it's none of their business. It's the public information. I demand this public information. Who I am and what this is about is irrelevant. And so you get the you, you get the public information uh, whichever way you can. If not, then you sue them, and you get it 
through requests for documents, papers, and things. Now they have to uh, respond. There's no choice in the matter. And um, if they if they uh, ignore that, then, like I said earlier, a request for admissions is all deemed admitted to. And the uh, affidavit is all deemed admitted to. So that's a good thing. So you can't be in any hurry. I realize everybody wants to get this over with and get on with their life. But there's sometimes we get put in a place where we cannot just say, where do I send the money? I mean, they want to put you in jail for five years. You've got to fight them. You've got to stand your ground and fight them. And you remember, we've talked about this a number of times. I used to do this in all my seminars. Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Green Bay Packers many years ago, had a really good quote that people quote to this day that's not even related to football. It's a, it's a good quote for the battlefield and the courtroom, and that is the best defense is a good offense, and I found that to be very true. A uh, little side story. Uh, years ago, I, I had a factory. I decided I didn't want to drive an hour to the job I was building, a five-story medical building on in Santa Ana, California. I wanted to just work in my backyard, so I built tra- uh, RVs, travel trailers, motorhomes, campers. And uh, I had to have them inspected to, to be sold in California. And, and I had the state inspector come out. In those days, he got $10 an hour. Now it's probably $80 an hour. And he would just spend hours, you know, going over my little my, my little camping trailer. And he was requiring me to put shut-off valves on the, behind the, the stove, let's say, the, the little cooktop. Well, wait a minute. All you have to do is turn the bottle off walk outside and turn the tank off and now you you can remove that you don't have to shut off and it doesn't require that in the code so i went down this is where i learned that it's best to go to the top um i don't want to talk to some other guy that's working in the field i want to talk to the boss so i drove all the way to los angeles to the state building and i went into the guy's office and i said i want to speak to the manager of the whole office well, the lady there, she was a nice lady. She worked at the desk. She said, well, this gentleman over here at the counter, he works the field just like this other guy does, and he might be able to answer your question. And I looked at her real straight, and I said, I want to speak to the manager of the whole place. And her answer was, oh. <laughs> In other words, she realized this is more serious than something this guy can handle over here. So she says, have a chair. So I went I sat down, and it was about 10 minutes later, and this really friendly guy comes out. Usually the guy at the top is really a fine guy, and uh, they want to get rid of the problems too. So come on back. And so I came, went back to his office, and I, I named the guy. He says, he's coming out to my place. He's charging me $10 an hour, and he's sitting there studying his book. He doesn't know the law. He's requiring me to do stuff that, that uh, the law, I don't think the law requires. And I mentioned that one thing, and he, he agreed with me. And I had a list of things. He said, well, there's probably some things that uh, he's right on. And tell you what, I will t- bring him out there, and the two of us will come out to your factory, and we'll sit down, and we'll go over these item by item, and we'll get this resolved. And, you know, I mean, that's all I wanted. I wanted to get it resolved. And so they came out about a week later, went over everything, and he, he straightened out the inspector. And uh, I got straightened out. I found out that I needed to do some things, and we got it all taken care of. And that's all, like I said, that I wanted. So they left. And I thought, boy, the next unit that I have 
inspected. He's either going to be all over me or he's going to be in and out. He's not going to waste any time. And that's exactly what happened. He just came in, he inspected it, he gave me my my tags and left. He he found out this is no place he can sit there and run up a bill on, on my time. So it, what I'm saying here, and I I was talking to Chad about a, another problem that he's suffering with, go to the top. You don't need to waste your time with now. Now you, you sometimes you work your way up, but there's a lot of times you just go straight to the top. And if you don't have time, then you just want to go right straight to the top. But information, see, that's what due process is. The Fifth Amendment gives us the right to due process. Um, the Fourteenth Amendment made the Fifth Amendment applicable to the states. So when we sue somebody under the Fifth Amendment, they come back and say, well, this wasn't a federal a federal uh, uh, target here. This guy doesn't work for the federal government. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, they do. Since the Act of 1871, as amended by the Act of 1878, all these local governments, they're not really governments anymore. They're corporations. They're federal corporate quasi-governments put in place to produce services. If you look, go to the phone book and you'll see there's all kinds of service. The Internal Revenue Service, the Child Protective Service, um, CPS, there's it just goes on and on. There's services for old people, services for this and services for that. It's all about service. And if you go to some parking lots, like it, there's an administrative building in San Bernardino. In the parking lot, it says customer parking. It doesn't say constituent par- parking. It's all about service. And, of course, we didn't, we didn't uh, want their service, do we? We don't want their service. We didn't, don't need their service. Take your service someplace else. So learning the names, words and, words and their meanings are critical in the courtroom. And we, we've talked about that in the past, too. So uh, but due process is, and, uh, there's, there's three different phrases that all mean the same thing. They're really synonymous. The common, the term common law, and the term law of the land, and the term due process of law—they're all synonymous. You have the, the major right to due process is at the common law, and so when when they come back with that uh, opposition that they're not federal, we point out that they are federal. But even if they weren't, the Fourteenth Amendment made the Fifth Amendment apply to them. So we could still hold them to due process. Now, due process is another description is notice and opportunity to be heard. Now, that brings up another little side note. When when we when we go to court, sometimes we're forced into court. You know, I mean, you're in handcuffs, maybe. And so um, you want to challenge their jurisdiction. Um, but when you sue somebody, you have already given the court jurisdiction. So you see there's two different, completely different sides of that coin. So you don't ever challenge the court's jurisdiction that you granted jurisdiction to. Um, so when when you're forced into it, then you just say, uh, I'm, I'm here uh, making a special appearance and not a general appearance for the sole purpose of challenging the jurisdiction of this courtroom. This courtroom doesn't have any jurisdiction without, for instance, jurisdictional granting papers uh, produced by the the public uh, prosecutor or the district attorney. Because, you see, in traffic court, 
all they have is the other side of the paper that the cop gave you. Well, all that is is a witness statement. It's, that's not a jurisdictional granting paper that they can use to prosecute you over, but they do it every day because of your, our ignorance. And so you want to just tell them right up front, there's no uh, jurisdictional granting papers that I've ever seen. They have never served them on me. This, this, this uh, witness statement was served on me by the guy that, that uh, witnessed it, but he can't serve his own papers. Process servers have to be a third disinterested party. And so there's, there's, this court doesn't have any jurisdiction of what papers are before it. So um, you want to you want to get uh, with, with the uh, request for documents, papers, and things. You want to show them to show what what where the jurisdiction granting papers are, so you can pick them apart. You see, these these really bad criminals that are very very wealthy that can hire the best lawyers. They win their case on procedure. Most people that work for the government could not, I'm going to make a statement that somebody's going to disagree with, I know, but it's been my experience. They couldn't make it in the real world out there competing with guys like me. And I've had guys that were tried to compete with me and they couldn't do it. They wouldn't keep their word. Their, their guarantee was worthless. So what they do, they went and got a government job where they got their paycheck every week and they didn't have to live in the real world where they had to really uh, be somebody that everybody wanted to recommend. You know, I took a business that most people worked out of the back of their truck. You know, the guy in the park that had a little side business, and I built it into where I had 15 trucks on the road with 28 employees servicing mobile homes. And it was all on recommendation. You got your money's worth. Even though I was the highest price guy in town, you got your money's worth. My roof would last for 30 years where this other guy's roof would last for a year. Now, I'm just telling you the facts. So these guys, they go get a government job, and they slough off even worse there. They make mistakes. That's what I'm getting at. People that work for the government make countless mistakes. You have to know the law better than they do so you can take advantage of the mistakes they make. And they make them all day long. Now, there was a problem I had on on my five acres one time, and I invited the police on the property to deal with it. And uh, one of my homeless guys that lives there, he overheard two police officers talking, and one of them said, well, we, we should do this. And the other guy said, no, 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 no. Haven't you read the dossier on this land? No, we're going to have to do this one right. Well, what does that say? I said, they don't do it right other places, and they don't. But they feel like they have to do it right on my place, cause, and they did screw up, and I and I held their feet to that fire, too, because uh, I think they ought to follow the law, don't you? The law was designed for them. It wasn't designed for me. The sovereign people that are way up there, now there's 320 million of us, we hire some people to serve us. They're called public servants. And we, our representatives, have created all these laws, procedures, rules, and regulations for them to follow, not for us to follow. We're not. We don't work with them. We don't have a contract to be put under their administrative laws. See, administrative laws only apply to people who work work for the government or the or the, the corporation. In fact, back in the 30s, they they did an administrative um, order to for the people to turn in their gold. That didn't apply to me. 
It applies to people that work for the government. And that's, you know, you've got to know the law and be able to argue it before a jury of your peers. You don't want a jury of their peers. Yeah. And that that's another thing that we go for is that we always ask for a Seventh Amendment jury of, a trial by jury of my peers, where my jury is going to judge the law and the fact, not just the facts. Well, they hate that. That's why a judge will say, I will judge the law, you will judge the fact. Well, when he says that, you know you don't have a Seventh Amendment trial by jury. You just have an administrative law jury trial. And, you know, people, the ignorance of the American people is just underwhelming. They they just don't know the law and they don't know how to how to demand for a trial by jury so that we can invoke the, the last in the American system of checks and balances against bad laws. And if you're in a jury trial, you cannot mention jury nullification. Now, that's called contempt of court. I mean, they strong arm you every way they can, and then they want to be called your honor. Anyway, I think that's uh, my presentation. Are there any, any okay. questions? Star 8 on your phone if you have any questions for Bob. And we're kind of at our hour point right now. So if we don't have any questions, then we'll probably just... Uh, Call it a night. Michigan has questions. Here we go. Michigan, go ahead. Yeah, how you doing? How you doing, Bob? Go ahead. Good. I was just wondering, um, you was uh, working with my mother's uh, information, just trying to see if there's any possibility or whatnot. Uh, Did it look like, would there be anything you could do to to help her out or assist her? I think I was working with Tad. Let me interrupt. I need you to say that again slower. I'm sorry my hearing is really bad. Yeah, I was actually working with Tad when I sent the information over to uh, you about my mother's situation. Um, and I was just trying to see was you. I think Tad's supposed to talk to her tomorrow. I was just trying to see was there anything. Uh, does it look like anything could be done to help her out based off the situation? Uh, I I don't know what her problem is. Uh, I I just hear somebody yeah. talking. Yeah. Uh, why yeah. Why don't you get in touch with us a little bit later and, and we'll go over that. Okay. No yeah, I, I I I talk with anybody that that comes through Tad, and and sometimes Tad interprets things for me and tells me what this is about, and then then I, I have an answer once I understand it. I was just on a call, so she's going to call. She's going to talk to Tad tomorrow, so I'm sure you guys will work something out if it could be. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. No problem. Okay. So no, Genevieve, you have to raise your hand. Hit star eight. I didn't say anything. You have to raise your hand anyway. Oh, yes, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Am I muted or unmuted? Now that's not me. This, this. I know that. You got yeah. another gal on there. Maybe she was before me. No. If you have a question for Bob, hit star eight on your phone. Genevieve, oh. you hit star eight. So. Hi. We'll go ahead. Oh, and and somebody's right behind you, so be mindful of that. <laughs> okay, well, I just have a few miscellaneous questions. Hello, Bob. Hi. You know, How are I'm going to start a whole category at the website, Genevieve questions. <laughs> miscellaneous well, questions, has, quick questions. She always has such good questions. That probably uh, helps other people uh, that... That don't want to get on the phone. So go ahead, Genevieve. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, like I said, this is miscellaneous questions tonight. So okay. the the first question I have is, 
do you have what kind of ID do you use? You, I, I I didn't I I said I heard you say what kind of and I didn't hear do I use ID ID yeah uh, I I have I have a, a state ID it's not oh. a it's not a privilege it's not a license just a state ID you can use a passport what about the idea of common law ID where you make that, up your own. I have that too, and I've done that before. Uh, a lot of places don't want to use those because it it doesn't have that little magnetic strip on it that doesn't tell them who you really are. Oh. Okay. I've done I've done all of that. You know, I've been doing this 36 years. I've done all that. But I, what I do now, I just get a I have an ID, a state ID in two different states. And I just show them whichever one I want them to to use. Okay, okay. I was just curious about that. So what you what you're saying basically is that the common law ID was kind of more trouble than it was worth because you do a lot of traveling. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. and and I have. My automobile, which is not a motor vehicle, don't call my automobile a motor vehicle. That's been explained in the past, but my automobile is licensed. It is commerce ready, but it is not under the law just because it has plates on it. It's done, it's, it goes under the law as soon as the activity that that license relates to is invoked. So if I, if I put a taxi cab on the roof and I start driving around getting rides, it becomes a motor vehicle and it's done under the law. But if I'm traveling from state to state on my right-of-way that I, I own every road in America, then I have a right to do that. That's called an unalienable right. It's not a civil right or any other kind of a governmentally created right. See, government, when the government creates a right or a, or a privilege, it is taxable, regulatable, and controllable. So I've gotten rid of all my four. I had four state contractors' licenses. I had a manufacturer's license for the 35 RVs I built. I had uh, a loan. I was a loan officer. I, I was a real estate salesman. I've had all these licenses. I had a wall full of licenses. I have no licenses anymore. None. Zero. Everything I do is a matter of a right, and they cannot control or tax an unable right that's endowed to be by my creator pursuant to the Declaration of Independence. Yay. Okay. Um, when I go to the county uh, recorder, uh, I've heard that if I place the document on the counter, that that is considered uh, received. Do you know that may, that may be true. That's hearsay as far as I'm concerned right now. I want to see, before I would rely on that, I'd want to see uh, some case law that backs that up. And there probably is. I'm not saying there isn't. Okay. There's a lot of people out there that are teaching good stuff and, 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 and intermingled with bad stuff. So, you know, I go to I go to other people's seminars, and I can sit there and pick and choose and say, well, that won't work. I'm not, people went in and got to jail for that. But, oh, look at this. This is really righteous. You know, you pick up good stuff. You don't know where you're going to glean some really good information. So there's that. what you're talking about is probably something that somebody has already developed, and, and, and I want to know more about it. Ah. But here, here's another thing that you can do. 
see, see the recorders just record anything that came to the window, and then so many people recorded bad stuff that they, the attorney, uh, risk management, and all those people said, "Wait a minute! Here's a, here's a list, a list of documents you can record. You cannot record anything that's not on that list. So you need to go to the to the Hall of Records and get a copy of that list. Then you name your your document." <laughs> One of those names. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, do if do they have that that is the county recorder, do they have a stamp that you if they don't want to record something for you, do they have a stamp that something along the lines of under protest or something like that? I don't. I don't know if they, they do. I know you, when you go to the courthouse you, and they don't want to file something, so you record things at the Hall of Records and you file things in the courthouse. And they have a file on demand stamp, and you can ask them to put file. Uh, you go ahead and use your file on demand stamp. I'll, I'll wait here. Uh, now, what I do, I put file on demand right on my document. Every one of my documents is just filed on demand for the record, and it's up in the top right hand corner, and they just file it. So that so you would put those words very up right up at the very top, the top right hand corner. Okay. Yeah. Now, as far as um, there are people that have developed procedures to where you can go to the Hall of Records and and demand that it be recorded. Uh, recorded. I've just not had that be enough of a problem that I've spent the time uh, to develop that. But I, I do know that there are people that do that, and that that. There is probably a way that you can can do that. See, law is there's a here's a, a little maxim: law is more complicated than medicine. And so I'm not so arrogant to think that I know all the answers. And if I don't know and have an answer, I'll be the first to admit it. I have a lot of answers, but I don't have all of them. And I'll admit that I don't have the answer you just talked about. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. I really do. Thank you. Uh, I, another question is, uh, are you familiar with a fellow named Ron Gibson who teaches or talks about land patents? No, I'm okay. not. But I, let me say this. that I have listened to a lot of land patents information that is erroneous. And, and I don't know if he does the uh, land patents sandwich yes he does well then that's not necessary that's really nice if you want to spend the time effort and energy and all the money and the weeks of research to do all that and that does show that you have nothing to hide but wait a minute what if you found a break in your chain of title would you want to tell anybody about it no you don't need to Right now, as it stands, the hollow record shows you are the title holder. Nobody's contested that. You probably have title insurance for that. Now all you have to do is claim the forever benefits of the original land patent as it relates to your legal description. It's that simple. You don't. It, I mean, how much does that cost? How much time is that? See, that's that's but, why I, I reject a lot of these other guys' good wishes and stuff because. It's not necessary. I like to go, I like to be very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Frugal. I want to be frugal and I want to be fast and have it right. And and you can be right without being 
uh, spending a lot of time and money getting right. So, Bob, I think Ron Gibson's approach is also he tries to record the notice of land patent in the county records. Okay, there might be ways to do that, but most counties will not record them. But he might have developed this. See, this is one of those cases where you might pick up a jewel by listening to his. But here's here's a here's a problem that I've heard with, with some of the stuff. You have what they call a declaration of land patent. You want to bring that old original land patent up in your name. You don't need to do that. That's a flag, that's flag waving. You're saying, hey, I'm over here. I'm one of those crackpot um, <laughs> patriotic guys. Yeah. What you want to do, you want to just stay low, stay under the radar until you need it. Only when you need it, then you make your claim of the forever benefits of the original and get it over with to the guy that's messing with you. That would be the code enforcement guy or the bank. We do a, we do a, a, a land patent claim to banks, and we point out that, that that original land patent was forever, and it was to the grantee, which isn't going to live forever, for his errors and assigns. Well, you're not even an error, probably, but you're assigned. Everybody is assigned. And if it was a – here's one thing I heard in one land patent seminar – you, you, if, if your land is in uh, the name of a corporation, you got to get it back in the name of the man. They didn't. They didn't ever issue uh, land patents to corporations. Well, yes, they did by the thousands. One of my pieces of land is in a railroad grant, and the railroad grant doesn't have any errors, do they? They have successors. So my land patent there says to the grantee, which was the Southern Pacific Railroad. It's successors and assigns. I may assign forever. So when they say, well, this is old law, you know, I tell them, what is about the word forever? You don't understand. The, the National Archives spend millions of dollars a year to keep this old document, the humidity and the temperature perfect so that it's not going to deteriorate. And I'm claiming the forever benefits as an, as an assign of that original old land patent, even though it was a, a, a corporation. So that's one thing. And then the, the deck, see, 30, 30 some years ago, we did declaration of land patents. People went to jail for that because they said, well, you didn't separate your legal description out. You claimed the whole land patent. Well, that clouded the title to all your neighbors. Oh. They said, I don't do a declaration of land patent, and I don't record it at the Hall of Records. I wait until I need it. And then I claim the forever benefits to the people that's messing with me. Nobody else needs to know about it. All right. Great. Thank you. And I think I'll leave it there because I guess there's somebody else who wants to talk. Yep. Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob and Tad. You bet. Bless you both. Have a good one. Hey, Bob, I got a question. Sure. Um, Did you raise your hand? I'm the moderator. I don't have to. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> the land patents, ONC, the Oregon-California Railroad, was issued a bunch of land through land patents to build a road from Eugene down to the border of California and southeast Oregon. Just a regular highway road? A wagon road. Okay. Like well over 100 years ago. Well, apparently they never finished it, and so that land was revoked. What's that? 
Well, they never finished the road. I guess they went out of business. And so the land patents were revoked. What does that mean for people that have that land? Well, if it was revoked, actually revoked, it means it doesn't exist anymore. Now, the people that have that land, uh, they might be able to get a land patent for it. In other words, was that road land patented? Did they issue a land patent for that road? They issued tens of thousands of acres of land as payment. And I think they sold off parts of it. Uh, one of my uh, acquaintances is a was a surveyor, and he knows all about it. And he says it's it's a kind of a checkerboard of public That's what and it private. Is. Huh? Yeah. It is. In fact, the, when they issue giant Indian reservations, there's there's uh, one mile square sections running right through the middle of those Indian reservations. Right. So, now, I'll make a statement. When a land patent is issued, it's forever, unless it was revoked. If it wasn't revoked and just abandoned, it's still there. Okay, so that be, if it was revoked, would it say so on the uh, GLO website? Probably, but there is no GLO website. The, the GLO stands for General Land Office, and that's what they had. To begin with, and in 1947, the General Land Office became the Bureau of Land Management, or the BLM. So it, it might be on the Bureau of Land Management, but um, you could go to a Tyler company and, and give them the coordinates and see what the latest document on that land is, and if there's a re revocation, then it's, it was revoked. If there's not, then it was just abandoned, and it's still valid forever. Okay. Um, now, okay. Uh, and that's that's my opinion, and I, it's not, I'm not giving any legal advice. Remember, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't give legal advice. But that's my, my educated opinion after all the years of studying my own 9,000 law books. I could be wrong. I never – there's no guarantees of anything in life. But I, I just give everybody my best shot, and I tell people, don't believe in the word I say. Go find out yourself. I just put you in the right direction. Okay, so um, we have yeah we have somebody from California that wants to talk, and she's okay. next. So go ahead. Bob. Yes. Okay, I just wondered. You said request for tax records, and then you gave two offices, U.S. U.S. Can you repeat those offices if I want to request my tax records? No, I, I didn't quite understand your question. You can request your tax records from anybody that's collecting taxes. Uh, with the Freedom of Information Act, you want... And here's, here's let me, let me uh, give you a really good hint here. You also want to know what, what document is in their system of records that they consider you agreed to becoming a taxpayer. Because that probably happened with your application for Social Security when you were a teenager, not even of legal age. So you can void that. But that would, that would be in, in a FOIA request uh, or an affidavit of facts. Or if you did a lawsuit, that would be in request for documents, papers, and things. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking at uh, a GLL, uh, GLO website. They have something on here that says canceled. It says no. So I guess some of these land, these uh, parcels that, that have this land patent, the land patent is still good based on that. Yeah, I'm not saying the GLO doesn't exist. Uh, the Bureau of Land Management just took over all of its its current jobs, but it still has many, many years of records, and I'm sure that's what they have now. Is they just offer the records that they collected when they were when they were up and running. Okay. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this evening, Bob. Okay. Thank so you. So we People thank you very much, in. and we thank everybody for joining. So uh, have a good evening, everyone. Bye bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.